Hey there, I'm Albo, and this is the Hunters Podcast, a show about car culture, business, hustle, and self-improvement. Hey guys, so in this podcast, I'm going to talk about what you should do and where you should go uh, when you come here to Japan on vacation. So I've been getting this question a lot from you guys lately, and I've been promising you guys I'm going to make a video about it, but actually I think a podcast version as well is going to be very, very helpful because I can really go in depth and make this a little bit longer than a video because I think you know people's attention spans tend to be a little bit longer when they're, when they're listening to a podcast uh, compared to a video. So uh, let's just kind of jump right into it. And if you hear some weird background noises, it's, uh, well, it's, it's just ambient noise from inside my car. I'm uh, driving to Costco in, in the uh, STI. And um, yeah, it's about a 20 minute drive. And I figured before I get some pizza, I'll make this quick podcast. Uh, and basically we'll talk about uh, different things you should think about when, you, when you're considering and planning a trip uh, to come here to Japan. So the first thing I would say is you should think about how much money uh, you want to spend per day. And I would say a safe bet would be around maybe like including including uh, your accommodations around 120 to 150 dollars a day uh, per day that you plan on on staying here. So for a lot of a lot of you guys, the ticket alone is probably quite expensive, probably in the neighborhood of a thousand dollars or more. So considering if you're going to be staying here for around a week or so, uh, 100 to 150 dollars a day might be uh, quite quite steep. And there are cheaper options. Uh, it's definitely going to depend on the kind of places that you want to stay, and also you know the kind of experiences that you want to have. So there are a lot of things that are free. There are a lot of places that are really cheap. Let's just kind of dive right into it. And so the first part I'm going to talk about is the different accommodations that you could stay at. And uh, let's let's work our way up from work our way down from the most expensive. So I'm not even going to go into like the really really expensive places. I'm just going to start with a typical hotel. And a a, a typical hotel in somewhere in Tokyo, maybe somewhere like like Ebisu or Shinjuku or uh, just somewhere in central Tokyo, I would say it would, it'll run you around close to $100 a day or more for like a fairly upscale hotel. Uh, not even super upscale, but you know, just like that, like, like a, not, not like a big brand name hotel, like a Hyatt or anything like that, but you know, not a place that's not a business hotel, but maybe a local hotel where everybody, uh, that caters to uh, where everyone who comes in is is typically a foreigner, uh, not not a local, and so yeah, so th- those places would run you somewhere in the neighborhood of around a hundred dollars. So if your budget is one hundred fifty dollars a day, that leaves you with only fifty dollars a day for you know your expenditures. So that's like your food and shopping and traveling and what have you. So that's why I would say, uh, that's why I would recommend. Uh, to have a, a budget about around 100 dollars a day, but then that means that you can be a little bit more flexible uh, about how you choose to to partition those those funds. Whether it's going to be more towards your accommodations or more towards food and travel and, and experiences 
that a lot of people are. Oh, actually, actually just before I, I go on to the next part, one really important thing to note about hotels is that they typically, in Japan, charge per person. So, back home, back in Canada, and in almost every other country I've been to, they typically charge per room. So, if you have you're going with a partner, you could, you know, typically split the cost of the room in half, and. Then you know, if you have two or three people, even you could you could you could save a lot of money by just splitting the cost of the room. But it doesn't work that way in Japan. Even if you have you come with a partner or or you come with a bunch of friends, uh, you'll typically have to pay per head. So that's why I would actually not recommend staying at a hotel unless you're really baller and you really don't care about how much you're gonna spend. Which leads me to the next. Option, I would recommend staying at a an Airbnb. So Airbnb has become probably one of the most popular ways that foreigners come to Japan in recent years. Uh, definitely, when I when I've um, met people or made friends with people who have come to Japan and have planned to uh, hang out with me, maybe to film some stuff, uh, things like that, they typically, especially if they come in a large group. Uh, they typically stay at Airbnb places. So this is true for my friends from Toronto and also some of my friends um, from from Calgary, like the the Kings Must Rise guys. Uh, I believe they had stayed at an Airbnb somewhere in in Shinjuku or in Shibuya, and they're able to save a lot of money compared to staying at a hotel. I, I would say probably more in the vicinity of forty to fifty dollars a day per head. So just something to think about. So the next cheaper option is probably uh, hostels and guest houses. So these places, they typically I think they would run you around uh, twenty to thirty dollars uh, a day. Um, maybe a little bit more depending on the place and these are typically what I would recommend if you if you plan to stay here for around two to three weeks to even a month to because you know like if you're gonna come here to plan oh that's another thing well I'll touch on a little bit later but the longer you spend in Japan the more the more worth it it gets like I really feel that even a week is a little bit too short so I would recommend around two to three weeks if you're able to swing it and uh, you know definitely if you're able to reduce your expenditures on on the accommodations it, it'll be a lot a lot more uh, you know, financially viable so aside from aside from the the hostels and the, uh, the what's it called the, uh, the share houses Another option actually is something called uh, couch surfing and I recommend this to a lot of people but very very few people actually go through with it with it and couch surfing is essentially you're staying at a complete stranger's house and sometimes they're quite nice enough to take you around and give you a, a local tour and um, you know you, you actually befriend you and but I've I've had friends who have used this service to great effect. And basically the way it works is you go to the site called uh, couchsurfing.com, you make an account, you make a profile, and then for wherever place you want to go to, 
you can look up you can look up uh, people uh, or you can look up areas and you'll find like lists of people uh, hosts who will who are offering to have guests over at their place sometimes it's uh, like one person is a host or, or a couple or even even roommates who have a, an extra room in their place which they're opening up for couch surfing so that's a really cool option and the really cool part of it is that it's it's free so they're typically free or close to free so if you're if you're willing to I mean, to kind of like take a roll of the die and like I, I don't even mean to make it sound like it's uh, it's it's really like I don't I don't mean to make it sound like it's dangerous although at the same time I would I would also wouldn't say it's like the safest option but if you're the adventurous type that is definitely something I would cons I would suggest that you consider and research to see if it's uh, the right fit for you and uh, let's see so what else there are of course the other types of places that you can stay at um, such as uh, love hotels so if you're coming here with you know your boyfriend or your girlfriend I definitely recommend staying at a, a love hotel overnight just for the experience and these places are typically much more well appointed than like business hotels and they they run about the same price as well but they they usually have all kinds of you know like funny quirky designs and and all kinds of it's uh well you know of course it's it's quite obvious what you would do at a love hotel it's kind of self-explanatory so um if you're coming with a partner i, de I definitely recommend it because Aside from the quirky and kind of fun aspect of it, the really good thing about it is that they don't charge per head like a typical hotel. So what that means is for an expensive love hotel, which will typically run you around uh, maybe about $100 uh, a day, a night, um, that could be split between two people. So really it's, it's more like it's half the cost of a, a regular hotel. some sort of online booking system typically the way it works is you go there at night and you pay for a room in fact usually you just press a button on this big electronic board with pictures of the different rooms that you can you can stay in uh, you press the button you pay your money or you pay uh, wait wait uh, well it depends the place but you go inside and there's typically like this uh, like an ATM like machine where you pay your money depending on how long you stay not that I've been to a lot of these or anything like that uh, yeah anyways moving on uh, so that's definitely an option so okay so now that we've covered the different types of accommodations uh, let's talk about uh, let's see what should we talk about next um, let's talk about let's talk about food so food is one of the best parts of Japan it's I mean it's like number two probably it's Japan has such an amazing amazing variety of different 
these foods that are incredibly well priced very very just the thing is about okay so the thing is about our restaurants and basically just food in Japan is that it's prepared to a very very high standard of quality even if it's just food from the kombini even if it's just like a rice ball or a um, karage which is like a, like a fried chicken on a, on a stick the food in Japan is uniformly and very consistently very like decent to good to great so you'll very rarely come across uh, food in Japan that is like bad or service that is bad so what I would recommend is that when you come here to Japan, you visit a lot of different uh, convenience stores. They're, uh, they're called kombinis. And as soon as you come to Japan, you'll re you'll, you will realize how ubiquitous, ubiquitous they are. There's the 7-Eleven or Lawson's or a Family Mart at basically every single street corner. So you're never more than, like I don't know, like 150 meters away from uh, from a convenience where you, you can pick up a quick snack and these convenies are both a great way to you know just to tide your to tide you over between actual meals but also a great place to really sample different types of foods that Japan like like offers like you can find takoyaki which are octopus uh, deep fried octopus balls karage like I was saying earlier which are the uh, the deep fried uh, fried chicken Japanese style uh, onigiris which are uh, rice balls which are wrapped in seaweed and typically have something like uh, tuna inside of them or different types of noodles like udon or ramen and of course these are the like I, w I wouldn't even say fast food it's like the kombini, the kombini versions of them so they're typically um, kind of like a like a cheap I guess you could say it's kind of similar to like a microwave dinner version of of a, of, of your of a, an actual restaurant meal but it is what a lot of Japanese people eat on a daily basis so if you want to experience what Japanese people actually tend to eat uh, you know aside from going to restaurants and preparing food at home you know the typical salary man or a student will I mean more or less go to a, a convenience store and a company every single day and pick up something to eat for lunch or on the way home uh, after school so it's definitely part of the cultural experience so then how about the actual food the like actual restaurants so one of the great things about Japan is that you don't have to tip anywhere I've never had to tip for anything. In fact, the times where I've tried to tip, uh, they've act and I've accidentally tipped and left the, the store or restaurant. The what the waitress or the staff have come running after me to give me my money back and apologize. So this is basically Japan in a nutshell. It's it's pretty amazing considering the incredibly high standard of service. So what that means is that. Unlike back in Canada or the States where you pay for your meal and then you're expected to pony up another 15 to 20 percent on top of the meal just for the, I don't know what, the the honor of 
going to that restaurant, that establishment, and having them serve you food. In Japan, it's just expected. It's just the it's just it's just the status quo. Like there is no tipping. People are people just expect good service, and the service industry um, happily provides that not even exceptional service, just uniformly high standard of service, which is kind of very typical and permeates every aspect of, of Japanese uh, culture. So what that means basically is that a lot of really, really good eats here in Japan are very affordable. So I would not recommend that you spend time to look up very, very expensive restaurants and blow all your money on these like fine dining experiences unless you're a total foodie and in fact you might be a little bit hard-pressed to find super expensive places because you know typically a lot of the really good places are very affordably priced and I'm, I'm talking about in under $30 for a very good meal and so that's Let's say, let's just go through a few different types of meals. So ramen, the standard, the noodles, the uh, famous noodles of Japan, which actually are actually of Chinese origin. But you know, ramen as we know it is kind of a, a staple of Japanese cuisine. So a bowl of ramen will typically run you about ten dollars, and then if you add extra toppings like extra meat or gyoza, which are the deep fried. Uh, dumplings, it'll typically run you uh, at most uh, typically around $15 a meal, and that's including tax and, of course, with no tipping. Let's see what else. If you're going to go to a an izakaya, an izakaya is a Japanese style bar where they serve all kinds of uh, I don't even want to say bar food because bar food will kind of undersell it. Um, Izakayas tend to serve all kinds of, of different foods and they typically come in not not like an entree but as uh, like not even like appetizers but like as, as single uh, plates of, of dishes that you eat like for example like edamame or chicken wings or depending on the place, I mean like takoyaki or okonomiyaki or different types of fried things. And of course you can also order dishes like fried rice or um, and usually like the menu is very very expansive and very big. And I, I definitely recommend you go to just Google Izakaya in whatever city that you're, you're gonna be in. So like let's say you're in Tokyo or you can just wander around and Izakayas are really uh, ubiquitous so there's no way you're not going to be able to find one but just in terms of budget uh, they you'll typically if, you, if you're gonna drink you'll spend maybe 30 to 40 dollars and that's with two or three drinks and of course it can climb up you know quite a bit more depending on how much you drink um, there's a huge drinking culture in Japan and if, if you're able to make some Japanese friends who are kind enough to show you around and take you drinking that can be a really really fun night although it might make your wallet sting a little bit uh, that being said even even a night out on a town let's say you were to go bar hopping and 
go to a club. So a club will typically run you around $30, $35. Unless you go to a super cheap place where cover is $15 for foreigners, uh, which is actually what I would recommend. So just a quick tangent on nightlife. If you're gonna come to Tokyo, probably the two or three most popular places are Roppongi, which is where a lot of foreigners gather and a lot of Japanese people who speak English and want to interact with foreigners uh, will go. Uh, another place is Shibuya, uh, and it's Shibuya is, uh, I would say, another big party district. It's where the Shibuya Crossing is, the famous Shibuya Crossing. And another one is, uh, what's it called? Shinjuku. So those three places are, are great for partying, and a full night of just going all out, going drinking, going partying, I would say it'll run you around $100, dollars $120 or $30 uh, per night. So I wouldn't recommend that you spend all your time here partying, but I would say, actually, if you're going to be here for a week, I would recommend that you go out on at least two of those nights to experience what Japan is like at night uh, beyond all, all the car stuff. So going back to, let's just finish talking about food a little bit. So food in Japan, as I was saying, is, is a really great deal. And uh, well, we're, we were talking about ramen and izakayas, so you should definitely check out all of the local specialties of different places that you're going to go to. Let's say you're going to go to Osaka. It's very famous for takoyaki, which is the deep-fried squid balls. And I would say for food, you should comfortably budget around $20 per meal. So, you know, that could, that could run up pretty quickly. And of course, the longer you're here, you'll have a lot of those, those big meals. And then you'll be fine with uh, in between like a big dinner or a nice lunch. Maybe just for breakfast, you'll go to the kombini and just pick up like an, a rice ball or something cheap. And then so you'll have more money to spend on lunch and dinner. So maybe budget 50 to $60 a day uh, for food. And so if you're gonna budget 50 or $60 a day for your accommodations, you're already at $100. And that leaves, leaves you with about, what, $50 a day just for uh, travel expenses and, and purchases. So as you can see, like it adds up pretty quickly. And uh, if, if you're not careful, you can, you can blow through a lot of money really, really quickly. And that's even without shopping. So let's move on. So the, the, the whole point that you started listening to this in the first place was to do car stuff. And with car stuff, the budget is totally dependent on what you want to do. Unfortunately, <laughs> for the best experiences, uh, they're gonna cost a lot of money. And one of the best experiences that I would recommend is that you rent a sports car while you're here and drive it around, uh, you know, the the famous toge. So, for example, in Hakone, uh, which is where initial D fifth stage takes place, um, on on the on the loop, the inner city loop of of Tokyo, the Shitoko, and the initial D highways, uh, not highways, sorry, the toge of Gunma, like Akagi and Haruna and, oh, yeah, let me just uh, 
associated with it of course the cost of renting the car and depending on how long you rent it it could and, and of course depending on which car it could add up to quite a bit and there are two main um, rental places that I know about uh, the first one is called uh, oh sorry I'm blanking right now Omoshiro rental Omoshiro rental just google it i'm sure even if you misspell it a little bit it'll pop up and the other one is fun to drive so that's what it's two i would say that fun to drive has the better cars but almost sure or rental is a bit cheaper and i would say for a full day rental you're probably going to be like an overnight rental you're probably going to be spending in the neighborhood of maybe 150 100 to 150 dollars a day and probably even more depending on the car I, I think in fact if you're going to rent like an r34 gtr it's going to be more like two to three hundred dollars uh, a day and so now you have to consider it well is it worth it and to that i would say if you if you are a car guy and it's always been your dream to come to japan and drive around well, yeah, it is definitely worth it. it. It's worth saving up that extra bit of money or even staying one day, one or two days uh, less just so you can experience it. So when you come here, you obviously need to have a license and you need to have your international driver's permit. So don't forget to get that before you come here because I'm not even sure it's even possible to get uh, when you come here to Japan. So that's very, very important. Pick that up. Uh, and before we continue, I want to talk about, well, basically just driving here in Japan. And what I want to mention is that it's, I think it's pretty self-explanatory, or not self-explanatory, but it's pretty self-evident. But you shouldn't be, you shouldn't, be careful is what I'm trying to say. Um, be a courteous driver be respectful of the local laws don't be don't be crazy and don't get into races with rental cars just use your best judgment don't don't be a hero don't be an idiot and you'll have a lot of fun and you like more just just as important you won't ruin it for everybody else so one thing that comes to mind is recently there was a foreigner who actually came to Japan and he rented an R34 GTR from I think almost a rental and then he went to Mount Haruna in, in Gunma and, he, and then he proceeded to crash the car and this kind of became kind of big news within the local car community and even within within the news here in Japan and because of that you know, it's like people are getting more wary of foreigners coming to Japan, uh, especially car enthusiasts and just driving around because, you know, now people are thinking, oh, they're a bunch of idiots. 
So it's definitely something to keep in mind and to be respectful of, uh, mindful of. I'm, I'm not saying that don't have fun with the expensive car that you've rented for a day, but I'm also saying like, don't be an idiot. And I, I don't think anybody who's listening to this podcast right now, uh, I, I don't think any of you guys would be idiots. Although, you know, when you're behind the wheel of a powerful sports car in Japan, your your bad judgment might get the better of you. So, I mean, we're all only human. I just want you guys to keep this in mind and be careful and be mindful and just remember that you are guests in the country um, and to be very, very careful. All right, so I am just pulling into just a second I'm gonna park then after I finish parking and walking I'll continue this podcast uh, a little bit more so hope you guys are enjoying this this podcast let me know um, on Instagram or Facebook uh, what you guys are thinking about podcasts and, and I'd love to keep doing these these are really really fun to do I'm not sure how how good I am at, at doing them but I think with more practice I think it'll get smoother it'll get better and hopefully I'll become a better host so just a second let me just dig through my bag to look for my wallet because you need money to buy pizza uh, which is why I'm here as a quick side note pizza in Japan is kind of weird typically uh, it's also very expensive so you, you have you have uh, toppings like corn and mayonnaise and tuna. Uh, they're not mandatory, of course. But although a lot of times, if you just go to a normal place and order pizza, like an izakaya, you, you'll get mayonnaise and corn. So it's a bit of a shocker. But I, I live near Costco, so I'm incredibly fortunate. And I'm able to come here and basically just gorge on pizza as much as I want. And it is great. Just a second, I'm not able to find my, my wallet. Okay. Alright, so you know what? The next thing I want to talk about is as I'm fishing through my bag looking for my wallet. Did they leave it somewhere? Uh-oh. Okay. The next thing I want to talk about is you know the, the, the different places that you can you can visit uh, if you have a car. So if you're coming in from Tokyo, as most people do, even if you have a car, there typically or there usually won't be too many places that you'll realistically be able to to visit. Uh, number one, because of time constraints and of factors like the weather and the traffic. So it's important to know uh, just how much you can uh, you can drive. Actually, you know what? Let me let me pause this for a second, and then I'll continue it in a second. All right, so I'm now walking and uh, there might be a bit more ambient noise. So I'm sorry if it's a little bit too loud for you guys. Anyways, so now we're actually gonna talk about the most important part um, of this podcast and it's the different places that you can go. So if you're gonna pick up or rent a car from Fun to Drive, you'll probably be driving around Hakone. And this area has some of the most beautiful, incredible roads that I have ever had the extreme 
like pleasure to drive. Uh, I really highly recommend you drive through the Izu skyline and through the, the turnpike. And uh, aside from that, a lot of people have been asking me where they can go to to see the, basically the, the crazy car culture, like the, the night, like the place that looks like Tokyo Drift. And my main recommendation is to go to a place called Daikoku, Daikokufuto, Daikokufuto in Yokohama. And Daikokufuto is a, a huge parking area that is between, uh, not between, it's a, it's a man-made island that is uh, surrounded by a maze of highways. And it's an incredible place to go if you're into cars. Because every weekend on Friday nights, people come from around Tokyo, around Yokohama, and basically around Japan, sometimes even, to hang out and show off their cars. And this place is, it's accessible by, by bus, but the problem is it doesn't, the bus doesn't take you inside. So you have to walk into the, into the highway and then somehow find your way into the parking area itself. So the better way is to go by rental car. So what you do is you take your rental car. It doesn't even have, it doesn't even have to be a sports car. You, you can just rent like a, uh, a cheaper economy car, which will save you a lot of money. And you can take that into Daikokufuto by going into the highways. And I would actually recommend not using Google Maps, but Apple Maps, because in my experience, Apple Maps is a little bit better than Google Maps uh, for this express purpose. So once you're in Daikokufuto, it's basically this incredible like it's like a it's like a weekly car show like the way i like to describe it is it's the world's greatest weekly car show it's uh not planned it's completely well you know some people will depending on the different groups they will plan to go together but there is no there typically is no big organization that is planning this huge car show people just show up because they know this is the place to show up and it's a great place to go on a friday night there's families there they come with their their kids uh you'll see like young kids with and families with pets you'll also see couples come to just hang out and spend time meet and to meet uh meet up with their friends and to meet new people so it has a very very energetic atmosphere also depending on when you go and who you meet kind of like eclectic and interesting you'll see like people with all kinds of different tastes and uh, different car cultures there so it's it's a really great place to just really experience what japanese car culture is is all about now a lot of people also ask me where they can go to see the highway like street racing and stuff and this is a very very sensitive topic that i feel is very important to to touch on and that is this is probably actually the most important part of this podcast. I personally do not condone that you guys as tourists come here with the purpose of 
trying to find uh, like this underground street racing culture. Uh, number one, it's incredibly dangerous. Uh, number two, it's illegal. And I'm just honestly very worried about like some international incident, like some accident occurring because some tourist goes to like this one of these underground meet- meetups and then something happens, there's an accident or you know any any number of just bad things uh, could happen. So I did not recommend it. Um, I guess the most I can say is that you know this this does still happen on on the highways, and so if you are going to be driving around the highways of Tokyo, be careful and don't get into any races with anybody. And just remember that you are a tourist on a tourist visa and things could go bad very, very quickly. So use your best judgment, please, please, please. I really implore you guys, don't be idiots. And yeah, don't leave the drift hunting to the professionals. Uh, uh, me over here trying to make a documentary. And you know, even myself, I struggle with this a lot personally as well. Like how much I should be kind of like I'm now I'm, I'm very much so immersed in the culture but I guess what I'm trying to say is that every, these are all people and you have to be careful you have to be sensitive of their their subculture and the fact that this isn't something that is meant to be to be to be watched or spectated and if you want to spectate, I, I would say the best place to go would be to Daikokufuto because a lot of people go there, a lot of foreigners go there. And there is sometimes drifting that happens on the other side of Daikokufuto, which can be a very like, awesome experience if, if you have the chance to see it. But I wouldn't bank on it. And I also wouldn't bank on you know, meeting street racers at local toge or uh, at different parking areas. So, because I don't want to condone it, I'm not going to give any specific information of where you can go, where, where these meetups happen. Um, I mean, if, if you are, uh, if you're determined enough, I'm sure you can basically find out different places uh, where this stuff happens, general areas. But, you know, I, I don't want any responsibility for anything, you know, anything bad happening. So, I, I really, really... Please implore you guys, be smart about what you're doing. Be careful. Be very, very careful. And, you know, come to Japan, enjoy it. But don't create an international uh, incident. Okay, so let's move on to the next part about doing car stuff. So there are also a lot of really, really cool things that happen throughout the year. For example, in January, there's there's the Tokyo Auto Salon and uh, the Tokyo Motor Show. So there are definitely different times that are a little bit more conducive to experiencing and, and meeting more more people into cars and seeing more cars and you know that is definitely like the times when big events happen and so these tend to be uh, i would say like in the beginning of the year so the two times which are really good to go are well the thing is in january it's quite cold and spring is also a very 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 nice time to come uh, because of the the cherry blossoms so actually i think anytime you decide to come to japan there, there's something 
good about that season. So you should definitely research uh, the different seasons to figure out which season you want to come in and to experience Japan the most. Uh, for example, in, in winter, you could go snowboarding. And snowboarding in Japan is some of the best, like, like snowboarding anywhere in the world, snowboarding or skiing. There's incredible mountains in Gunma and Niigata. In spring, you have, of course, the cherry blossoms, which are incredibly beautiful. They bloom. So they're kind of, unpredict they're kind of unpredictable. They often bloom uh, in early April, but they can bloom as late as uh, towards the end of April and early May. And depending on where you go, there will still be cherry blossoms, um, like especially in the, in the slightly colder areas, like the cherry blossoms will bloom a little bit later. And then, but then after that, you have the rainy season. So you have to be careful when you come to Japan because it might be really, really rainy, which is why I recommend that fall is probably a very good time around October because that's when the rainy season is finished. It's uh, quite, quite nice and it's not super, super hot. So if you come in the summer, it's blazingly hot and you might not, you might not be used to it. It might be overwhelming and you might want to spend most of your time indoors. So you definitely want to spend as much of your time outdoors as possible to really experience Japan, not just the inside of a building. And uh, if you come in the fall, there's actually incredibly, incredibly beautiful uh, fall, fall foliage. And it's, it, the colors are just magnificent, very, very spectacular. And so I highly recommend coming in the fall. It's probably the best time to come, in, in my opinion. All right, so the last thing we're going to talk about is the other car things that you can visit while you're here. And in Japan, there are, there are a lot of really good car museums. There are a bunch of good ones in central Tokyo. And uh, for example, there's a really nice one in Odaiba, which is the Tokyo MegaWeb. Uh, I think, I'm pretty sure that's what it's called, Tokyo MegaWeb. It's, it's a car, it's a museum, and it's also a a uh, like a big hmm, what, what's even the word it's like a like a place where where toyota displays all of their current models there's also the 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 nismo museum uh the nissan museum and if you go to nagoya there's a toyota museum so there are there are all of these awesome manufacturer specific museums all around Japan, which are definitely worth a visit, but you have to consider that it's going to take you basically half a day uh, of your travel time to really explore those different places. Uh, I would also recommend checking out different garages, and the only problem with this is that typically <laughs> the, the people who work the garages, they don't speak English, so it's much better if you come with somebody who speaks Japanese, preferably uh, a Japanese person who speaks both English and Japanese quite well. So try to make some friends before you come here and meet up with them and then go visit these, these uh, garages. That's probably the best way to go about it. And let's see what else. If you go all the way to Gunma, I highly, highly recommend that you check out two particular places. Uh, one of them is the Toy Car and Doll Museum. And this is the museum where 
the storefront from initial D is displayed. It's uh, before the store was torn down. Uh, the, the, the family of the owner saved the storefront and donated it to the museum where it's now proudly displayed as a piece of history. The other place is D's Garage, which is just a little bit further up the street. And that's where um, it's, basically an, it's basically an Initial D themed cafe. So it's a really cool spot to hang out because a lot of other Initial D fans, Japanese people, come from around, around Japan and they park their cars and they basically hang out all day. And then, of course, because it's quite close to Mount Haruna, they go for drives uh, up and down the toge. And I don't want to sound like a broken record, but this is just a very, 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 very important point. If you guys are going to go all the way to Gunma, of course, you're going to want to drive on the toge. And I just want to implore you guys, please be careful. As much as possible, observe the local laws and speed limits and at least follow the pace of traffic. Don't ever overtake anybody. Uh, you never do that in Japan. And just be careful. And I, I'm sure you will have a, a wonderful time. So that's basically it. I think this, this podcast was relatively comprehensive. I'll probably do more more of uh, more podcasts or videos about this specific topic because there's just a lot to talk about and in future podcasts i'll probably bring somebody else to help uh talk about their experiences and to give advice as well so it's not just me talking but yeah that's basically it and i hope you guys enjoy your trip when you come here to japan it's definitely a wonderful wonderful place uh, there's a bunch of things I didn't touch on uh, that are probably very important to know, like the Japan Rail Pass. I guess I'll just touch on that right now. So the Japan Rail Pass is this pass that's available to only available to foreigners who come to Japan. And I believe it's something like, uh, I should have done research, but it's about $400 to $600 per week to two weeks. And essentially, it lets you travel all around Japan using any of the JR train lines so which what this means is that or is it all is it yeah it is the it's called the JR JR pass because it lets you take the JR uh, railways anywhere in Japan so what that means is you can take the Shinkansen this bullet train to go from Tokyo all the way out to Osaka and even further beyond you could ostensibly take it all the way to the southern uh, western end of Japan like uh, Fukuoka or all the way to Akita in, in the north. And if you're planning to travel around Japan to see as much as possible, I really definitely recommend uh, the pass because it'll make traveling around Japan a lot more, more efficient. And then let's say you go to Osaka, you could go there by train. And if you're gonna be, stay, if you're gonna be staying there for a couple days, you can rent a car to drive around. And also the last thing I'll, I'll mention about uh, cars is if you're gonna rent a car if you're gonna be driving around in the city and you're gonna be stopping for lunch or dinner or check different places out consider that you're gonna be spending a lot of money on parking as well somewhere in the vicinity of probably 10 to 15 to even 30 dollars to stop just to stop for a few hours depending on how 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 much how popular that place is and how close to the city center it is so, yep, okay, been talking for about an hour straight. Hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. 
And as well, I just want to thank you guys for supporting me and my journey and this whole the hunters and drift hunter and the the documentary series and just following everything i've been doing uh thank you guys so much your support means the world and um yeah i i'll see you guys in the next video uh, next videos on youtube and on instagram and the next podcasts and uh yeah of course if you want to support this this channel and this podcast you can support uh, my patreon at patreon.com slash drift hunter and you can also pick up some merch at thehunters.com with a v so t-h-t-h-e-h-v-n-t-e-r-s.com and there's always uh, a lot of merch up for sale so anyways that's that's it for the pitches and hope you guys have a wonderful day hope you guys enjoyed this podcast and found it educational and entertaining and i'll catch you guys uh in the next one so have a great day and take care. See ya.